Hi guys. Well, yes, as Dom introduced, we are looking in Mark's Gospel and we're getting to the culmination of Mark's Gospel now. We're getting to the high point, if you like, uh, of the Gospel. This is what it's all been leading up to all through. And this is not just the high point of this Gospel. This is actually describing the high point of history. You know, this is the peak of history. This is the most important day. This is the pivotal point. There was this one day and these few hours that we're going to look at now, which totally transformed history, which totally transformed who we are, which changed not just our calendar, but millions and millions of lives. This is the peak, if you like. This is the very top of what God was planning to do. And the implications have gone on for hundreds and now thousands of years. It's an extraordinary moment. It is the moment that Jesus, the Son of God, gives himself and dies in our place, substituting himself for us to pay the penalty of our misdeeds, our messes, our lies, our rebellion against God, everything that is bad and awful about us is taken on him in this moment. It's an extraordinary moment, but it's not one that Jesus was surprised by. Because what we have seen as we've gone through Mark's gospel is that time and again, Mark says that Jesus quoted scripture. It is written, he said. It is written. It is written that he'll go to Jerusalem. It is written all the time he was quoting the prophecies of their scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament. All the time he was uh, raising before the disciples his understanding of what was going to happen, that the Son of Man must, he said, the Son of Man must be condemned to death. But on the third day he will rise again. And that, of course, is our Easter story. And Jesus was aware of this. In fact, he was probably aware of it all his life in, to some extent or another. We're going to be looking quite a lot at Psalm 22 today. And right there in Psalm 22, what it says about uh, Jesus is there in verses 9 and 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my god isn't that amazing this is a prophecy in a psalm written by david hundreds of years before and it just describes so perfectly jesus it describes the son of god from mary's womb well Jesus knew what was coming. I don't know about you, but I've had some experiences of knowing what was coming. <laughs> 
Some of us have had different experience of knowing what is coming. Most of us don't want to know what the future is, but sometimes it's unavoidable that you know what the future is. I, when I was a child, was taken to the dentist. And, you know, this dentist was a bit of a pig, really. He, what he did was insist that I was a young man, although actually I was only a boy, a child, I was a young man and I didn't need injections to numb the pain. I, I could uh, live through the pain. And so I used to have my teeth drilled without injections. And, um, you know, that whirring of that cable, because in those days the drill was driven by a cable on a, on a long arm, and the whirring of that cable uh, I knew meant that I was now going to suffer pain. And... What got you through it, of course, was that it can't go on forever, can it? Can it? How much longer? You know, and you longed for what was coming afterwards, you know, that you would be out of this situation and into a fresh day. And the weight of expectation of the horror of the dentist would be past now and you would get on with life. Well, I think Jesus had lived his life in the shadow of this cross, in the shadow of this death, that there would come a day he knew when he would be crucified. Well, let's read the story then as, as Mark tells it. And out of the, out of the several events that surround the the crucifixion, we will just pick right at the centre here. Verse 21 of chapter 15. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him and the inscription of the charge against him read, the King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, leme sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders 
hearing it, said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Well, it was Passover morning. And as Jesus was led out of the city to Golgotha, the lambs would have been being driven into the city the lambs for the slaughter, the Passover day, the day when the Jews remembered that God had released them into the freedom away from Egypt and its captivity. This is a day when the lambs were driven in in the morning to be slaughtered in the afternoon. And at nine o'clock, Jesus is led out to be crucified. What a morning. What a morning that was. Well, there is this verse, verse verse 24, 34, sorry, where uh, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When I was much younger, when I was a, a child and a teenager, this first worried me. It worried me because it sounded like total defeat. I didn't understand fully what Jesus was doing. Because you see, Jesus knew his Bible and he knew Psalm 22. And when he cries out, He's crying out verse 1 of Psalm 22. He's quoting scripture. He's holding on to scripture. You know, in front of him, all sorts of things have been happening that would remind him of Psalm 22. It was being fulfilled in front of his eyes. Even as he hung there in agony, it was being fulfilled. My God, why have you forsaken me? I can't do anything. You know, it's a ridiculous comparison that I made with the dentist's chair, but it at least gives you a hint of what Jesus felt like. You know, that sense of when will this stop? I can do nothing about this. I'm totally helpless. Jesus had never been in that position before. Never. Never had he given himself into a position of helplessness before. He was the one who calmed storms. He was the one who healed people of diseases that had stricken them through their lives. He was one who could make the blind to see. He was one who could do amazing things, who could multiply bread and loaves and fishes. And the one who 
had power to stop a storm instantly. But voluntarily. Even as he was mocked, he still voluntarily gave himself to helplessness. There was nothing he could do except see what was going on around him. And crucifixion was excruciating the worst death known to man. And others had suffered it and two others were suffering it alongside him, but none, none before. None had known what Jesus was suffering then. You know, as Isaiah 53, God crushed him. On him was placed all our iniquity, all our badness, and God crushed him. But Jesus knew his scriptures. And he could see Psalm 22 being played out in front of him. No wonder he quoted verse 1. Here's some of the things that I picked out from Psalm 22. And as I read these things out, will you just remember the reading in Mark that we've just read? You know, it's like there are several people, many people maybe, who had like bit parts in the drama that was going on. They had moments when they unwittingly fulfilled the prophecy. Their knowledge of the scriptures probably not as thorough as Jesus's. They didn't realize that what they were doing, what they were saying was prophesied beforehand. So Psalm 22 verse 2 Jesus would experience this. To God I cry by day on this extraordinary day, but you do not answer. Verse 6, I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Scorned by the Romans scorned by the Gentiles, despised by the Jews. The people. In verse 7 to 8, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. And they say, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Which happened in crucifixion. Verse 15, my strength is dried up, my tongue sticks to my jaws. Which was why they tried to make him drink. Verse 16, they pierced my hands and feet. <coughs> I can count all my bones. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. 
what extraordinary fulfillment of scripture those moments were. I guess those Romans wouldn't, Roman centurions and the soldiers there wouldn't have known that scripture, but they were fulfilling it, casting lots for his clothes. You know, there's one verse in Mark's account that doesn't actually get echoed in Psalm 22, but I want to bring it to your attention. Verse 23, they hold up wine and myrrh, which was their anesthetic. Here, Jesus, they said, in, in effect, here, take this. It'll help you get through. And Mark writes this, and he says Jesus refused it. This will help you through. Here's the dentist's injection. It will be better. But Jesus didn't take it. You see, he was determined, determined despite everything to follow the path God had set out, the path of salvation for us that would require him to take this alone, utterly alone, with no help. No human hand was going to interfere in this. No human hand will be able to turn around and say later on, we helped Jesus get salvation for us. No, Jesus did it all. Maybe just a minor thing that happened on that day as they offered him this anaesthetic, but the imagery is just so powerful. Jesus died alone in order that God might give us the free gift of salvation, that we don't need to work for it. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to do anything except receive this free gift that he got for us on that cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, uh, one of the one of the great funny films about God was Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you've seen Bruce Almighty, but I think it's a terrific, terrific film with lots of lots of good things in it. One of the good things was when Bruce is given the chance to be God, and the prayers come in. Do you remember that? scene when all those post-it notes fly onto the walls and onto the doors and they said the place is just full of post you can't see for post-it notes of people's prayers and the murmuring of people's prayers that he can hear how do you cope with all this stuff and as i thought about the cross in preparation for this i thought of those 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 moments in that film and why don't we just turn that over and instead of it being the prayers of people let it be the sins of people 
Let it be our misdeeds. Let it be our lies and deceit, our wars, our hatreds, our falling out with other people, all the things that mess up our lives. Let it be those things on those post-it notes. Now, as Jesus hangs on this cross, as the final moments approach, as darkness covers the land from 12 to 3, as, as we get to this point at 3 p.m. in the afternoon when Jesus finally dies, as we're approaching that, it's like this flood of post-it notes are coming onto him. Everything from the past, everything from the future, right up to today in your post-it notes. And even beyond today, the post-it notes of the future. In your life, in other people's lives, for however long we don't know, but all those post-it notes from past, from present, from future, all flying onto him. For the iniquity of us all, it says, was placed on him and God turned his face away my God my God why have you forsaken me not a cry of despair so much as a cry of faith because he knew what Psalm 22 said no I think it's in Hebrews, isn't it? I think Hebrews 12, verse 2 or somewhere like that. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him. And Jesus knew, even as he hung there on the cross, that where Psalm 22 went, it went into the future. Psalm 22 even went into our future. Like all prophecy, there was application for the present for Jesus, but there's also application for the future because Psalm 22 goes on to say a picture of the glorious future that Jesus was looking forward to. The result of his pain, the result of his distress, the result of all that he was going through, this separation from God, this event of separation that we will never experience. This, this event of separation that piled onto the pain, the physical pain and suffering he was going through, this abandonment by God would lead to this glorious future. It says in Psalm 22, I'm just going to quote again, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. And so it has been from that day, from that day forward. The story of the crucifixion and the story of what hanging on that cross 
meant for the world has been continually told ever since. For generation after generation, there will come a time when all the families of the earth will come together to praise the Lord, to be in his presence. For the joy set before him of enjoying our company as forgiven people, he endured the cross. What about that, folks? For the joy set before him was you and me. When we come and place our lives and our sin upon him, we receive the forgiveness we don't deserve. And the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom like God reached down from glory and ripped it apart so that we can walk in and be in his presence without fear, but with joy. And at the end of Psalm 22, it says this, he has done it. Or as John's gospel says, Jesus cried out, it is finished. We've reached the end of Psalm 22. It is finished. What I've done in this moment, the last words he says, echo the end of Psalm 22. It's done. It's finished. As we put our trust in him, we join the millions who put their trust in him and who've walked through that curtain into the presence of God and been able to fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with Jesus and enjoy his presence and enjoy his life-giving spirit in our lives today. All this is possible. All this is available. All this is for us because Jesus, Jesus, died on that cross with that cry it is finished on his lips lord we do we do honor you it's beyond our comprehension what you did we can't fully grasp the enormity of all of this but we do know that you have brought us freedom and joy and new life as a free gift from God himself. Thank you. We're going to sing now a song in response to what I've been bringing to you today. And I hope that you can sing this with faith, understanding and joy. And if not, please consider your position. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. Receive righteousness from the one who paid the price, the penalty for you.